You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Well, welcome everyone. It's uh, great to be with you on this Sunday. Uh, my name is Richard. For those of you that are joining us who don't know who I am, and uh, welcome to our Every Nation Church online service. And uh, I got to say a quick happy birthday to my wife, Chantel. It's her birthday today. And so here we go. There we go. And uh, I know it was your dream and birthday wish for me to be on TV. So here you are, sweetheart. Well, happy birthday. Look forward to celebrating you later. And uh, yeah, I just want to underscore what Bert and many of us uh, have been saying about the importance of this in-home worship um, gatherings. And I really want you not just to hear your, your church pastors encouraging it, but I really feel it's a... It's a it's something we need to take seriously from Scripture. The church is always meant to be an embodied people. And for a while, it was necessary for us to only be online. But that time has passed. There is now plenty of opportunities. You, like me, are probably going to restaurants. You're going out and seeing people. And so as, as disciples of Jesus, here's the challenge before us. We've had 18 months of doing something that's formed us in a way that's not healthy, of being by ourselves on a Sunday uh, consuming worship, probably sitting on the couch, getting really hard to sing and, and engage in the word. And I understand, and I, I preach, and I'm tired of listening to me on a Sunday sometimes. And uh, But here's what I really do want to encourage you. I really want to encourage you to bring this before God and ask him, God, who can I uh, invite into my home or who can I join with? And um, if you're stuck, my home, our home is open. If you'd like to come and join us on a Sunday in worship, uh, you can reach out to us, hello at evernationgta.org. But we need to overcome this inertia of 18 months and start making steps toward these small gatherings that ultimately uh, soon will hopefully lead to the bigger gathering. And so I just want to underscore that. We're going to be drumming that for the next few weeks because we really do feel a conviction from God to begin to take these steps as uh, followers of Him. All right, we're going to jump in today. We're still in our Persevering People series, a, a series I think is very timely. I think a lot of us are feeling, whoa, a bit, bit blah. We used the word last week of languishing, of just feeling uh, stagnation, maybe decline. Um, maybe for us, some of us, it's even more severe than that, some serious mental health issues and emotional health issues over the last 18 months. And so we're talking about this. What is it going to cause What's going to be necessary for us? What's going to be essential for us to uh, persevere through seasons like this and, and trust God to flourish in the midst of trying times? And I think there really is the promise to not just survive, but thrive and flourish in difficult seasons. So the foundational text, we're going to go straight to there, has been Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 25. And in some ways, the letter written to these Jewish Christians in the first century is uh, very applicable to us in the 21st century. And here's why, is because they were experiencing a level of their own languishing. These were Jewish Christians. So you must remember the church is in its infancy within the first century. To be a Christian wasn't popular at all. It cost you a lot. Especially if you were a Jewish convert, you were rejected, disowned by family. Property was confiscated by the Roman Empire. You were treated as a sect, as a cult, cast out. The stakes were very high. And naturally, for a lot of these people, they're feeling fatigued. They're feeling languishing. They're asking the questions, is this worth it? And the letter to the Hebrews writes and says, it is worth it. And here's why. And he just 
He does a masterful job of just saying, Jesus is so much better. He's the fulfillment of everything that you were looking forward to. Everything the Jewish faith was looking towards. He is the fulfillment. He's sufficient. He's supreme. Don't give up now. And so we're joining him as he's writing to them and to us. And he's saying, here's what you need to focus on. Here's what's essential. And so join with me today as we read. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh and since we have a great priest over the house of God that is drawn near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience excuse me and our bodies washed with pure water let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then just a few verses down, he adds this, and I thought it was really good because this is really the heart of what we're trying to do in this series. In verse 35 and 36, he says, Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, right? Isn't that the truth? So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Don't know about you, but I have the need to endure. I don't want to throw away my confidence. The stakes are still high for us today. And so that's what we're talking about. And so if you've been tracking with this series, we've been looking at five C's, five essentials that the the author to the Hebrews uh, encourages them to focus on and in doing that encourages us. And we kicked off and looked at Christ as the first C, that everything begins as we look to Jesus, as we come back to Jesus. Last week, we talked about communion or draw near. It says, let us draw near. Um, today, we're going to talk about confession. What does it mean to hold fast to our confession of hope? Uh, next week, it's all going to be about community. It talks about considering others. I think there as well, we're going to just see another way that um, being together is vital to our faith. And then lastly, uh, commission. What does it mean to stir one another up towards love and good deeds? So today, a persevering people hold fast. Verse 23 talks about, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And so in some ways, this verse really preaches the sermon itself. This verse talks about what we need to do. It says, let us hold fast. That's the exhortation. That's the command. That's the instruction today. Let us hold fast. Okay. And you say, well, to what? Let us hold fast to what? How do we do that? And why should we do that? We're going to answer those questions in this one verse today and hopefully come out of this uh, more strengthened to uh, not throw away our confidence in a tough season. So if you're uh, unfamiliar with Greek mythology, as I'm sure a lot of us are, myself included, maybe you would have heard this story. It comes from Homer's Odyssey. And one of the stories he writes in is the uh, mythological character Ulysses is coming back um, and has to is sailing back with his men from war and has to pass by certain islands. And one of these islands, these, these mythical creatures called the sirens that had this beautiful voice such that it would lure sailors away to the to uh, lure sailors to the island and, and that would be their demise. They would die there and there was these seductive voices that would draw them to 
their ultimate death, but it sounded so beautiful. And so Ulysses is actually forewarned this is going to happen, which is actually a key part of the story. Sometimes we hear this story and the, the lesson is your self-determination, your self-will. And so what he does is he learns that this is going to happen and he learns that, that you've got to be careful. So he commands all his sailors to put wax in their ears. And so Here's one of the paintings from that. They put their wax in their ears, and then he gets his sailors to strap him, tie him, hold him fast to the mast, and no matter how much he begs, not to let him break free. And so they do this. They go. The sirens have their enchanting voices, try to lure them. He tries to break free. They hold fast, and they're able to make passage safely. And so I put that before you as a picture of the intensity and the resolve that we need when we talk about holding fast. This is not just some casual like, hey, I think I believe this. This is a holding fast almost in a life and death situation, if you will. I'm not trying to be over dramatic, but I think the stakes are so high that we do need to hold fast, not throw away our confidence, especially in this time. Also, especially in a climate where doubt and deconstruction have become such a popular thing, such a positive thing, and we must be careful that has its place. But scripture is also very clear that we're not to throw away our confidence. We're to be very sure and certain about key things. And this is what we're talking about today. The biblical picture, if you put the words, the two words hold fast into, um, into your concordance or whatever, it brings up a bunch of different scriptures all the way from the first book of the Bible right away to the Revelation. It's quite a fascinating little study. But the biblical picture of holding fast is rich, and it speaks of a deep commitment, a resolve, a determination, almost like gluing yourself to either something or, a, or someone or a relationship. Um, in Genesis, it talks about uh, verse 24, Therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. That's a strong Commitment. It's a covenant. It's a holding fast. That's not just some uh, shallow thing. In Deuteronomy 13, 4, when, when God's renewing his vows with the nation of Israel, he uses this language, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commands and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. I love that picture of God is something or someone that we to hold fast to in relationship, not just principles, not just truths, not just commandments. But hold fast to him. That's a relational term that we're looking at. And then verse Psalm 91 talks about the trust aspect of holding fast. God's saying, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I'll protect him because he knows my name. So just right there, and there's much more verses we could have pulled up. There's a richness there of this hold fast in very much relational terms. It's a fidelity, a faithfulness, a covenant, a relationship that you just you don't just give up on easily. Certainly in marriage we don't want to give up easily when times get tough that we hold fast to one another. That's what God's saying is hold fast to me. Trust me. But it's also hold fast is necessary if we're going to endure. And if we're going to have fruitfulness in our lives. And the two scriptures I want to put before us here is in Hebrews 3 verse 6. It says, but Christ is faithful over God's house and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And so there's a, there's a condition there. We, we hold fast and persevere in our faith that we don't give up or throw away our confidence. And in doing so may really throw away and reject the essence of our faith, obviously, Jesus Christ. And then in Luke chapter 8, verse 15, if you're unfamiliar, it's a very famous parable Jesus taught about the parable of, of the, the word that's been sown into good soil, rocky soil, poor soil, hard soil. And when it comes to the good soil, listen what it says. And for that, in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold fast. 
in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And so I put that before you just to give you a picture of what we're talking about, the, the, the richness of this whole fast, the seriousness of it, and how it's critical, essential, as we've been talking about in this series, essential for us, especially to navigate times that are tough, but also in our walk with Jesus. But it's also hold fast, it's directional. It's not just hold fast to whatever you want. It's not hold fast to anything. It's not hold fast to whatever is the flavor of the month. So we're going to answer that question. Okay, hold fast. Hold fast to what? The verse explains it to us. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. What does that mean? A confession, you mean a couple of things? We know confession is where we confess sins. It's a part of confession. But in this sense, it's been used as a profession of belief. That's what a confession is. It's a, it's a, it's a statement of belief that's oftentimes professed out loud. One of the earliest professions of faith of the first followers of Jesus, the, the earliest parts of the church was this. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. That was their confession. And you might sound like that sounds pretty obvious, but back then it was radical to say that. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Got you into some trouble. Got you persecuted. Got you death sometimes. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. That was a strong thing to say. People like People like today acknowledge Jesus is a teacher. He's a great prophet. He was a great example. If we could just live more like him, the world would be a better place. A lot of people agree with those statements. But when we, got, when we begin to say Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, or Jesus is the Son of God, that sets Jesus in an entirely different category to just a good teacher, to just a wise prophet, to just a moral example, to just a social activist. He's God, and so we should take him seriously. And so that's what we're talking about here. Uh, the confession of our hope is shorthand to say it's the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done past, present, and future. What Jesus has accomplished for us in the past, what he's doing right now, and what he has promised that he will do and fulfill, excuse me, and fulfill in the future. And so it centers around that. So that's the confession part. And our hope, notice it says not my hope, your hope, our hope. In fact, this whole letter is written with the assumption that it's to community. It's to brothers and sisters, not isolated, but in community. And so our hope is communal and it's substantial. So for the longest time in 2020, a certain U.S. president was famous for saying the same thing over and over again when he was asked about what we're going to do about the coronavirus. And I quote, it's going to disappear. One day it's like a miracle. It will disappear. Now hundreds and thousands put their hope in statements like that. Canadians, you have the responsibility and the privilege to go to the voting polls tomorrow. I really encourage you and hope you do that. And uh, in essence, whichever candidate has captured your hope enough, uh, that's probably where your vote is going to lie. Whichever candidate you think is has a substantial plan to move us forward in a good direction. And so hope is very powerful. But the source of our hope is critical. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that when we come to the second part of how we're to hold this. So it needs to be communal in the sense that it's not just you and I coming up. It, it attests to our faith, not just being some personal subjective opinion. Um, that this is a confession that we join in that has history, some 2,000 years of history. And that is global. It's confessed around the planet. 
Um, there's been confessions drawn up throughout the early stages of the church to uh, define and clarify what are the essentials of what we believe. We often on the first Sunday, uh, I think the first Sunday or the last Sunday of the month, we often quote what's called the Apostles' Creed, one of the first statements of what we believe about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so you and I enter into that very powerfully. Also, our hope is substantive. It's substantial. Bible speaks about hope. Not in the way that we would use it in common language today. Oh, I hope the Leafs are going to have a better season this year. I hope the Blue Jays make the playoffs. You know, we know about our hopes when it comes to sport, just often very misguided and misdirected. When we're saying I hope, it's often I wish. Not really substantive. The Bible's not talking about, oh, I really wish. I really wish one day that Jesus is going to make all things right. It's talking about something very much more concrete than that. In fact, the image it puts before us, actually in Hebrews as well, it talks about hope being an anchor for the soul. Look at that image, the anchor for the soul, that it doesn't matter how much our lives get bashed about by the storm. If we have an anchor... It's not going anywhere. Yeah, you, you might get pushed around a bit. You might take on some water in that boat, but you're not going to get unmoored from that anchor if it's substantive, if it's in the right place. And that's what we're talking about today. Our hope isn't just, uh, our, our holding fast isn't just anything. It's rooted in the person of Jesus and everything that he has promised, has done, is doing, and will do. So I think here the application for us, though, is how do we integrate that into our lives? Because I think sometimes when we talk about belief or confessions or even some of these traditions, I know some of us, we grew up in traditional churches, maybe the Catholic Church, or we come out of more mainline denominations. Lutherans, Anglicans have a rich tradition of confessionals, a rich tradition of doing things repetitively. Us in the kind of Pentecostal charismatic world, we don't do so well with those kind of things. We kind of frown upon tradition because we think Jesus had an issue with tradition. Jesus didn't have an issue with tradition for tradition's sake. He had an issue with people who did traditional things going through the motions and it meant nothing to them. It was empty, but there is power. There is no formation without repetition. What you and I do repeatedly is what has greatest power over us. What you think repeatedly, what you do repeatedly has greatest power over us, which is why it's so hard in this 24-7 bombardment of the digital age. There's so many things forming us, so many things that we're hearing constantly, so many things that we're doing with our phones or watching TV that we've got to be careful that it might be forming us in a way that God doesn't want us to be formed. And so how do we integrate? It's not just a profession of our faith, but what are the practices that we're doing? In uh, in another famous uh, Jesus moment, teaching moment, he talked about uh, two builders of a house. He talked about two men. And he talked about how they built a house, a similar house, how they faced the exact same storm, but one house stood and one house was decimated. And he used that story as a picture and analogy of our lives. We're all building our lives on some foundation. And he said the, the, the house that stood was built on the rock. The house that didn't stand was built in the sand. And what's the rock? He says, the rock is those that come to me, hear my words, and do them. That's the key, because the guy who built his house in the sand also heard the same words. Right now, you're hearing words, but it's what we do with that, how we integrate that into our lives, that's the key. We don't just say, Jesus, you're an amazing teacher. That's incredible advice. I really hope one day to, to, to put that into practice. Jesus 
assumes that we will take his words seriously and put them into practice if we truly believe that he is the Christ, he is the Son of God. So, as one author put it like this, to experience grace is one thing, but to integrate it into your life is quite another. I love this quote about tradition. Um, and I, for the longest time, was in that camp. Oh, tradition is bad. You know, you know, we we really value spontaneity sometimes in the in the in the charismatic world. We we like spontaneous prayers. We don't like written out prayers. What's that? It seems. And I think uh, as I've grown older, I'm going to hopefully a little bit wiser. I began to really appreciate the richness that we have as the body of Christ, that I can actually learn from my Catholic brothers and sisters, that from my mainline and traditional brothers and sisters, I can also learn from my Pentecostal and charismatic brothers and sisters. Gustav Mahler, the 19th century Austrian composer and conductor, for me, is a beautiful way of thinking about tradition. He says, tradition is not the worship of ashes, but the preservation of fire. Tradition is not the worship of ashes. That's what Jesus had a problem with. You just worship tradition for tradition's sake. You're doing the motions, but you're dead on the inside. You're doing all the things on the outside that look good, going to church, confessing the creeds, he's talking to the Pharisees. His, he was not asking them to ban. Jesus went to, the, went to the temple regularly on the Sabbath, and Jesus was a good Jewish man. He entered into those traditions. And so those traditions, those confessions, we must be careful to abandon them because they, they help us preserve fire. They help us to hold fast to what's substantive. And so for some 2,000 years, the church has gone through worse pandemics than we've gone through, gone through worse climate uh, conditions than we've gone through, gone worse through worse situations and circumstances that we've gone through, and they've come out well. And part of that is we can learn from that. And so if we're going to integrate this into our lives, we need to learn to embrace some of the things. We need to learn to go to Scripture. If uh, Jesus is the cornerstone of that foundation, then Scripture is, fills out that foundation. We've got to learn to go back to professing it and confessing it and declaring it and believing it. Uh, do you speak to yourself? I know that sounds a bit weird sometimes. Like, doesn't that sound a bit? No, the Bible is full of people speaking to themselves. The Psalms, David often why are you downcast, O my soul? He's speaking to his soul, and then he's encouraging his soul to put his hope in God. Get out of yourself and look to God. Get out of your uh, navel-gazing and look to God. Not denying or diminishing. You know, if you read the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms are just laments of like, life sucks, like this is hard, I've got enemies, I thought they were friends, betrayals, full of the human emotions you and I experience, but also confessing that God is good. That God is good. That I, unless, you know, unless I had my hope in God, I would just give up. And so that's what we need to do is learn to speak scripture out loud again and speak to ourselves. And so that's what we're holding fast to, the confession of our hope. It's Jesus. It's the good news of who he is. And it's scripture that gives us the confession of hope. How are we to hold fast to that? It goes on and says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Without wavering, have you found yourself wavering in the last while? Have you found yourself questioning maybe the resolve and determination, the confidence that you and I know we should have in Jesus and in Scripture? And I think in some ways we can have empathy for one another. But let's be clear that Scripture is very clear that in this particular instance, particularly on who Jesus is and the promise and the, the, the way that he is able to back up his promise, that's not an area we have doubt or deconstruction in. 
There are other areas we can begin to flesh out our faith more. But he is the cornerstone of our faith. When we begin to poke holes at him, everything falls apart. Everything falls apart. And so we have got to not waver on who Jesus is and all that he has done, is doing, and will do because he is trustworthy. And we see that because he rose from the grave. Not a lot of people have done that. And so we can set ourselves up for disappointment and even disillusionment when we have misplaced confidence. And this oftentimes takes some time in maturing in a relationship with Jesus to have your confidence in the right places. It's to have certainty in the right places and to make sure that your certainty isn't in places that maybe could change over time. And here's what I mean is we should have a certainty that God is the initiator, author, and creator of all of life. We should have an absolute, we should not waver in that, that God is the intelligent designer behind the intelligent design. But we might do debate, how did God do that? Did, was it over millions of years of evolutionary process? Did he just, bam, one day there were humans? There's many smarter brains and yours and mine that have gone back and forth. So our certainty doesn't have to be in the methods God implies, because oftentimes that's where we get unsure, but we can be certain in who he is. Another thing, God is just. We should have certainty that God is just. Our hearts cry out for justice when we see injustice around us, when we experience injustice. How exactly is God going to execute justice? We have to trust him in that. I don't know sometimes. Sometimes it looks like it's, it's unfair. But we should have certainty in the right places. For my charismatic friends, we know God is a healer, right? We know God heals. But how does God choose to heal? And I've seen so many people have a misplaced confidence in and a, and a, a confidence that shipwrecks them because they have confidence in exactly how God is going to heal this person at this time. And when it doesn't materialize, when God chooses another method or doesn't materialize, they, have, they begin to doubt everything else. And I would say that's just a misplaced confidence. And so what we want to do is place our confidence in the right place. And in this regard, without wavering, it's in who Jesus is, that God hasn't abandoned his creation. God hasn't abandoned you. It hasn't abandoned me. How he's all working this out, I don't know. It remains a mystery. It's why it's exciting to journey with God. We're going to figure this out. He's God. He's the senior partner in this relationship, right? It's not a mutual thing. It's he's the senior partner. He calls me to trust him. He calls me to believe that he's good, that he's involved that he's empathetic, he's not aloof to our suffering, but that he just sees a perspective a million times clearer than I ever will and calls me to trust him. My, my ultimate hope is in Jesus. It's not in a government, although we want to elect good government. It's not even the end date of a pandemic, although we all long for that. It's not in an economic recovery. It's not in that getting that dream job, that dream person, that dream life. Those can be all good and good gifts from God, but ultimate hope is in Him. It's not in those things that can be so easily taken away, can be so easy to destroy my confidence uh, if I place them there. And then lastly, why? Why can we hold fast? It ends off, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For He who promised is faithful. That's it. That's what the... <laughs> The author of Hebrews is just so confident. He who promised is faithful. Don't know exactly how sometimes that unrolls, but he who promised is faithful. God's faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful, and his promise 
like anyone who offers you a promise, it's only as good as the character that backs it up. You're going to the polls tomorrow, right? Hopefully you've not just looked at the promises they're making. You looked at their track record. You're looking at the character behind that. Is this person trust? Is this party able to deliver on what they're promising? Anyone can promise anything. And so when it comes to this, the promises of God in Scripture, you have got the surest foundation and trustworthiness in terms of God. Consistency is trustworthiness. God is faithful. And the one last thing I want to leave with you is oftentimes we think about religions, a lot of time it's very future-focused. We're seeking and we're expecting something great in the future. And Christianity certainly has a great future. It certainly brings upon a compelling vision of what God is ultimately going to do. In his timeline, of course, we wish it would be sooner, but he is working towards a purpose. But Christianity is unique in the sense it's not just a religion about seeking and expecting, but it's a religion about having something right now. Something substantive right now, not just always something that's to look forward to in the future. We have Jesus to look to. We can look back in history to see the faithfulness of God through Jesus. And that can carry through, hopefully in your life and in my life, there's been enough instances where you've seen the faithfulness of God to say, why in this moment in history would God be any different to who he was 2,000 years ago or who he will be 2,000 years from now? He who promised is faithful. I love how the message says the verse we've been looking at. It says, let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. And so in closing, the Hebrews, the the letter to the Hebrews challenges them. And in doing so, it challenges us. Will Jesus be the foundation, the cornerstone of your life and my life? Or is he just going to be an addition, an appendage to everything else that's going in your life? And the call to the Hebrews and the call to us is if we're going to, without wavering, hold fast our confession of hope, Jesus must be that cornerstone, that cornerstone piece upon which we build our lives. We build our hope today and tomorrow. And that is the offer before us today, that Jesus invites us into a better story, invites us into a greater truth than just the truth of the reality that's around us. And I hope you And I hope we will enter into that more fully today and the days going forward and be a people that persevere and flourish. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.